And welcome to another episode of G220 Radio. I'm Ricky Gantz along with Mike Miller. This is episode number 489. Mike, we are finishing off a series tonight. Woo! <laughs> it's cause for celebration. We should we should have got some champagne or something like that so we could celebrate. Nice. Now you're going to have all of our non-teetotalers, or is it teetotalers? Yeah, teetotalers uh, upset. Well, we have the freedom of conscience. It says not to be drunk. Not to be drunk. But yeah, this is a milestone for G220 Radio. We are talking about finishing off a series. We still have a few open ones out there. We will get to them. Uh, We just did one last week on uh, the 1689. I thought that was a a very good show, a topic that um, can be a little bit controversial in, in today's day and age when it comes to the Sabbath, the Christian Sabbath. Or when it comes to how do we participate in religious worship, and uh, I think you can go back and listen to that program uh, from last week and and hear what the, the confession says about that. Uh, Cynthia is with us tonight. Hello, Cynthia. Glad to have you listening and tuning in. So tonight we're we're dealing with First John five, and we're going to be dealing with verses thirteen through twenty one. Thirteen through twenty one. Uh, Mike, anything going on with you this week that you want to share before we jump into this? I just found all my Greek outline notes for this passage. That's all I got. So this should be a very, very interesting program then. Should be a lot of Greek. Hmm. I Maybe? just found them. Yeah. Doesn't mean I know how to read it. I haven't <laughs> looked at these in like, <clears throat> what is it? Since this May of... 2013. Mm. Well, I guess we can go ahead and just jump right into this because, uh, again, we know how fast time goes and we want to um, end this series tonight. We don't want to prolong it and have to come back and do a couple verses because then that may take a month or two. So anyways, we will begin. So here we go. We are in 1 John 5. Verses 13 through 21. I'm going to go ahead and read that whole entirety, and then we're going to come back and talk about it. So 1 John chapter 5, verses 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that ha- we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing sin, a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. All right, so a lot there, but just kicking it off, 
the way we have tonight's program titled that you may know, and it says here in verse John or first John 5 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And if if you're familiar with, and I think many of the listeners may be, uh, the gospel of John, he states in the gospel of John that he writes these things that you may know Jesus is the Christ. So he's writing that you may know Jesus is Christ. He is the Messiah. He is God in the flesh. And he's writing here in this epistle to the church, he's writing that you may know you have eternal life. So he says, I write these things to you, one, who believe in the name of the Son of God. So he's writing to them who have professed this faith, who are believing in Jesus Christ, that you may know you have eternal life. And I think that's so vitally important for us because this is a church, as we go back to chapter 2, that has seen those who were with them but went out from them because they weren't of them. They've seen the splits happen. And, and I'm sure even in our context of today, we've been in places where we've seen brothers or sisters, so we thought, who were, that have walked away from the faith, that have split churches uh, over um, serious doctrinal beliefs. And he's writing to let them know that if you've believed in the name of the Son of God, you may know you have eternal life. There is still confidence that you can have, assurance that you can have, that you are saved by the faith that you have in Christ. Yeah. And we look at it. I mean, obviously this, in the same way John has used this in his gospel, he has kind of put his intentions in front of what he's trying to do. And I think it's to acknowledge that John has a purpose. He wants people to know who Jesus is. Now, commentators note that this idea of the name of son, the name of son of God is to be a, would also include the person mm -hmm. of him. So it's not just, yes, I believe, but that you actually believe in who he was, just not that you believe in this name in kind of in a vacuum or apart from the person and you know that he writes these things so that they who believe so that they would have assurance <clears throat> yet that, that you may know that you have eternal life and when we think about even in the broader context of church history the reformation really pulled this out how can we know we are right before God? Well, God gives us insurance. Now, the Catholic Church would um, counter and say, well, no, that's not. We don't have insurance now in this life. But John is very clear that you may know that you have eternal life. There's this idea of insurance. And so he's been walking through all these things over and over the who God is who Christ is who are these false prophets how are they act how are you should how should you act all of those lead to this idea that when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and walk according to his commandments we can know that we have 
eternal life. And it's not a work righteousness because of order. We believe and in return, because we believe we have these works that demonstrate it, we can bring in other authors to help us understand that. And I think John does it, I mean, perfectly fine on his own. But he writes this so we can have assurance. And I think that's a big deal. We don't have to worry about, have I done enough to please God? John is telling us, those who believe in Jesus have eternal life. And that should give us great comfort and that we can live our lives in obedience to God, knowing that we have insurance. He is pleased because of the work of his son. And that gives us the freedom to live for his glory. Yeah. And and that's the, the one thing that the devil is going to try to take from us is the assurance that we have. Not that we lose salvation because the devil may get you to doubt it. Um, but there are times where you may doubt your assurance. But again, John is writing here to give you that confidence to know that if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you are continuing to walk in that faith, which would be an evidence of the fruit of true regeneration, true saving faith, then you can have confidence that you are a child of God, that you've been born again, and that you will see Christ for all of eternity because you've been saved. And so <clears throat> that is something that, again, as you said, and we're, we're trying to make that clear, is it's very vitally important for the believer to grasp that and understand that that assurance is found in Christ by the belief, the faith that you have in him. And as you said, Mike, I think it's vitally important as well that it's not just this, this faith in any particular person or how some of the, uh, maybe the apostolic tradition would say, you know, everything's the name. You got to say the name Jesus, but it's not just saying the name Jesus, but the person and work behind the name in which John is saying that you've placed your faith. And that's vitally important. Yeah. I mean, this would counter Jehovah witnesses, which say you have to believe the name Jehovah. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this is not, Again, I think it's separating. I mean, obviously, there's a lot more issues with Jehovah Witnesses. Um, though we've dealt with in the past, but I think it really shows us like we have to think about it as the whole. There's not this name that is somehow separated from the person. But even that, like when we consider the assurance we have that we know we have eternal life, that I think plays right into then verse 14 that we have confidence towards him mm -hmm. that our assurance not only gives us confidence to live in the world now in a way that will glorify him to live freely, truly. I mean, if to say Jesus's words that, you know, he has come to set us free and those he sets free are free indeed. And we have, now this freedom to live in the world the way God wants us to live by the power of his spirit. But also we have confidence to go to God, mm -hmm. to go to him. In this particular case, um, 
seems to refer back to even the sun, that we can approach the sun and that we can ask anything according to his will and he hears us. And I think this is different than the name it, claim it. But to unpack what I think John is saying here is that when we pray according to God's will, as he has shown us, God hears this prayer. And we can have confidence in that. So if we're struggling with sin and we honestly come to him seeking to defeat the sin, he hears those prayers. Now, if we're asking for a Chrysler 300M on a phone line, that's a different story. That's something different. But as Christians, we can come to the to God as triune because they all hear our prayers. They all have acts in which they participate participate with us in our praying now we can come we can pray according to his will and he he will hear us there's even great joy in to think about that he will hear us when we come and we pray for the things that he wants us to pray the lord's prayer a prayer for wisdom a prayer for defeating sin and what even prayers for healing according to his will will be heard yeah. and understanding and i think that's again john's helping them to have joy in their life these ideas are freeing which bring about joy and that's what god wants god wants us to not even have to have joy in our lives now no matter what the conscience con no matter what's happening around us as it prepares us for the greater joy when we get to see him face to face in heaven. Yeah. Yeah. Th these next couple verses here after it goes after verse 13 is, is, is dealing with prayer, but it's so important as you said that we understand that God has revealed his will to us. We have the, his revealed will in scripture given to us. And you've mentioned some of them there. And so how do we know what God's will is for our lives? We read the word of God. This is why the word of God is so vitally important in our walk with him, that we are in it daily, that we are seeking to understand it better in our study so that we can say, it's not that somebody says, oh, I don't know what the will of God is in my life. I don't know if he wants me to do this or he wants me to do that. Well, you do know what God wants you to do because it's laid out for you in scripture. So if you're praying in accordance with his will, as you said, Mike, God's going to answer and, and give you those prayers. He's going to make the desires of your heart, the desires that he has for you. He's giving you those desires for the, the things that are good, for the, the good things that are holy. And so you're not going to know those things if you're not in the word, if you're not gathering together in the local body where other brothers and sisters can encourage you and pray for you and lift you up in prayer. Um, and so, it's very important to, to uh, I want to acknowledge that so that we understand that as well. It says in verse 15, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Yeah, that we've asked of him. So again, there's that confidence. I'm kind of, it's a little dark right here 
I was trying to lower down the light so it's not so bright shining, but now it makes it harder for me to see because I don't have my glasses on. But um, he's going to respond and give us what we ask. Whatever we ask in his name, if it's according to his will, God's going to do that. He's going to work it out in our lives because it is according with his will. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> and I think that's something to think about for us as we live. Now, these answers or prayers may not be right away. I think sometimes Christians, we get impatient and we don't, we want God to work faster than what we, than what he may actually do. You may struggle for a sin for a while and being praying for it. But I think we should see this as not that you have the lack of faith. I don't That's not what I'm going to try to say, deny that right away. Um, but we still have a confidence that he hears us, that this is the right prayer. This is what we are told to pray to pray and that we should have it. And it shouldn't be de determined of time. As Peter says, one day is, is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day that there's this, that God as separated from this creation does not experience the time in which he's created. He's outside of time. And in one sense, he can see all of time all at the same time. And, and we know he hears us. We know it. And I think, um, we just need to have confidence in it. Prayers yeah. take a while. I mean, my one of my elders prayed for a son for 30-some years for salvation before he came to faith. You know, you, you just don't... That's longevity. Longevity. Oh, yeah, longevity. Yeah. But it also reminds us of the poor woman who constantly begged at the judge. And having that idea of coming repeatedly with our requests through prayer, through fasting for these things and just waiting on the Lord. And again, that's just important to think about that when we make the request, he knows and that we can like the woman who goes to the corrupt judge constantly for justice, God will respond to us. And that we know that because he's good. Mm -hmm. Now, this next uh, verse is one we, we touched on last week in the 1689 episode. Um, but this is kind of one that I think can be a little confusing, maybe, for some people to try to understand what is being meant here. And hopefully we'll be able to do justice to it here on the program tonight. But uh, verse 16, if, any, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. Now, again, we talked about this a little, I said last week, 
but we're dealing with prayer here. We're dealing with asking God in prayer. And then he goes in and says, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, I think it's key here because you, you see your brother committing a sin. Brother, this is seeing a Christian, seeing another believer committing a sin, and you are praying for them for their repentance in that sin. Okay, so you're praying for them to come to repentance um, in, that, in a sin that's not leading to death. So it's, it's a sin that can be repented of is basically what we're, we're referring to here, what John, I believe, is referring to here. Uh, and then he says, uh, let me see, he shall ask and God will give him life again. So he shall ask and be forgiven, repented. He'll, he's repented and he's forgiven um, to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. Then he says that there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. And as we talked about last week on the program, um, this is sin that is an unrepentant sin. And we've seen some of this in this book. John has been warning us about these people who who continue in the, like continue in the darkness. They don't love the light. They love the darkness. Those who went out from us because they were never really of us. These people who deny that Jesus is the Christ. These people that are committing these sins that only lead to death. There's there's no there's no life at the end of this for them in that. And so. We talked about unbelief last week. Another sin that was brought up last week is the sin of uh, blaspheming the Holy Spirit, which there is no forgiveness for. The only other thing would be those who are un in unbelief. Yeah. And there's a lot to unpack, and this does have its history when we consider of mortal and venial sins and how those split up kind of in Catholic thought. Um, but to note that this is praying for someone that you have seen sin, that they have transgressed the law of God. They have, as the Baptist catechism would say, a lack of a want of conformity. They're not doing what they should be doing and they're doing what they should not be doing. Um, kind of the the fullness of the law and that we should pray so he's gone from a and verses 14 and 15 a general idea that we should pray and make our requests known to now a specific idea we see a brother sin we see it with our eyes so it's not a sin in the mind as commentators have noted, but we have seen them sin and we pray for them that God may give them life. And this could be by just simply doing church discipline as laid out in Matthew 16, going to the brothers, seeing their sin, talking about them, encouraging them, reminding them that they can, that they forgive their sins. God is faithful and just to forgive them of their sins. And that we should pray that God gives them life, that God reveals their sin to them, that they may open their eyes and to live. And that obviously these are sins that do not lead to death. And that's the question. What is this? I do think the sin of unbelief, 
I would equate that as the uh, the sin against the Holy Spirit, a, continue, a continued rebellion against um, God in that way and the transforming power of the Spirit. But I think there may be even some sense in which that since there is a sin that leads to death, there's a, plural, a singular in that, so this may throw a wrench in it. But since that may cause the person doing them to die. Mm-hmm. A, in one sense, a final act of rebellion against them, against God. You know what comes to my and mind? So, yeah, th- this is something I thought about last week on the show and I didn't bring it out. I figured we kind of would explore it and you brought it up here is these sins that can lead to death. You think of, for instance, homosexuality. Homosexuality, if you look at the, the uh, movement, if you look at the, uh, what do they call it, community, so to speak, the LGBT community, there's a lot of AIDS within that community. There's a lot of diseases within that community that can cause uh-huh. death. So sin that leads to death. And another one that comes to mind is, and this, is, this can be a, a touchy or a controversial maybe topic, so to speak, but suicide. Someone who says, I profess to be a believer, but then they're, they're so depressed or so um, feeling like there's, there's no hope for them in this life, and they take their life, you know? Um, and, and it's just it's something that comes to mind. I don't know if you, you've thought of those th- kind of things there, Mike, but that's just some, some things that, as we're talking about, some of these physical sins that we do here that can, or sins that could lead to physical death here, ultimately being the, the, the eternal death, but... In the physical, yeah. these sins can lead you to, you think of somebody who's constantly like um, on crime sprees or, you know, like out robbing banks or, you know, you think of the mm-hmm. old west and they're out robbing trains and whatnot. They usually have a showdown and it ends up, they lose their lives. Yeah, I do. Yeah. And that's the question. Is that what John kind of dealing with or is he dealing with kind of the unpardonable sin? Um, Because if it's. Like, it, I think it seems strange to us in one sense to say, well, if someone is doing something that will cause death upon them, shouldn't we pray for their salvation? Mm-hmm. Like, so I think there is that, that, um, that struggle in this passage. Where is that line? Um, John is not as clear. He just kind of says, there's like these two types of th- sins. There's sins, there's a, a sin that doesn't lead to death, and there's a sin that does lead to death. And is this something the brother can do or not? I think is another question. That Because that's the immediate context, is you see a brother sinning. Mm-hmm. Or is John just saying... Look, there are sins that lead don't lead to death, but there are sins that lead to death, and not maybe necessarily related to the brothers. Or if it is a quote unquote brother, maybe a false brother with it. And how this text plays out. I think we can affirm that very least it is a sin. It is the apartable sin. Mm-hmm is at least part of what's in view. 
The right. question is, is someone doing things that the natural consequence is death? Is that something we should not pray for if we see a brother do that? Yeah. Now I had a pastor and, once. I'm, I'm sorry, Mike, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah. And so I think that's where you're going to, someone's going to have to find that line. Um, I just find it hard if they're, and maybe if they've died, that's kind of the, the point. Um, but as long as they have breath in their lungs, I think we should pray for them. Yeah, um, I was going to, and then, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say that <clears throat> I had a pastor once, because as he was talking about that, I, I think of Romans 1, where God turns them over to their debased mind, right? Mm -hmm. So there comes a point where someone is continuously in their rebellion, where God no longer has the restraint there on them. They're, they're, they're in rebellion against God all, already. They're an enemy of God already. But in that rebellion of God, they're seeking their own desires. They're worshiping the creation over the creator. And God says, I'm going to loosen this restraint and just let you go into your into your reprobate state and deeper and deeper into it. And so <clears throat> for those individuals, there's, there's no coming back once, once you've been turned over to that. And so I've had a pastor once tell me that we should not be praying for guys like Joel Osteen and, and uh, uh, Creflo Dollar and, and um, who's the big one, TD Jakes, you know, guys like these, because, They've been in this ministry, quote unquote, for so long, deceiving people, taking money from people, all in the name of God, in rebellion against God, that we shouldn't pray for them. And I struggled with that. You know, like I, I disagreed with him and I said, well, <clears throat> they may be, but I, I think we should still pray for them. And I think that's what John's saying. Pray, I think, I think what he's saying is, I do not say that one should pray for that. Like, don't pray that this is one of them sins that leads to death, you know? Like why we would want to pray that anyways, I don't know why a brother would say, oh, I you know, but hoping that they are a genuine believer. So the sin that you've seen them commit, they will repent of it and they'll have that life, you know? Um, but those are some things that you got to kind of try to work through. And, 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 you know, because ultimately we don't know where some of these people, they may come to repentance. Someone who seems so adamantly against God, the most staunch atheist or the most um, outspoken LGBTQ um, community individual that, that speaks on their behalf, on their behalf. You don't know if God may pull them out of that. So I think we, as Christians, on the safer side of things, continue to pray that they would come out of that. But specifically here, in this context, speaking of a brother who is professed to be a believer and now has, you've seen them commit a sin and there are those sins that do lead to death. Yeah. And I think there's some, you know, to think about here's Augustine on his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. And so I don't know exactly what he's talking about kind of in relation, but he has this, um, even though the Lord commands us to pray for our persecutors, this patch clearly shows that there are some brothers of whom we are not commanded to pray. We therefore must acknowledge that there are some sins among the brothers which are worse than, than persecution by enemies. I think that the sin of the brother is unto death when anyone who has obtained the knowledge of God 
through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, opposes the brotherhood and arouses the fires of envy against the very grace by which he's reconciled to God. And what I think I like about Augustine's quote, and maybe not because he's close, but to think about it, is that it kind of is supported by what John has been talking about through the entire epistle. Mm-hmm. That in, there is this idea that there's been brothers come in, but they have left the faith. They haven't loved. They don't show the marks of a Christian. And that is the sin. It's coming to the knowledge of Christ and then rejecting it. And and maybe it's very similar to Hebrews 6 and the idea of the Jews waiting for another Savior, rejecting Christ as their Savior. And as if the Christ's blood should be shed twice. And I think kind of understanding, I think that leads to it. Um, Colin Krauss in his pillar commentary deals with this section specifically. And he kind of says, he kind of falls. He doesn't think this is relating to the sin of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Well, I don't know if it could because it's, 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 John is writing this book later than that. So if it was only the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and Christ is gone and you're not, you're not seeing Christ perform these miracles like raising, rising people from the dead, making the mute speak, the deaf hear, the blind see, I mean, casting out demons, you can't accuse him of operating in the power of Beelzebub. You know what I mean? So I think that's why yeah. this text makes it difficult because it there there, there is a sin that you know it just it's it makes the, the text difficult. Yeah. And so Krauss ends, he thinks that this death, that this sin that leads to death is the denying of Christ in the person. So the sin of the people who have separated the cessationist um is the sin he has in view, which considers the concept you know, they are now outside of the bounds and in disbelief. And that can be a very, um, I think, and a very good understanding of what it is. It's not, and so it, it may not necessarily be suicide as like the Catholic Church says, um, you know, that's the sin unto death. And that there is this idea of unbelief, especially in light of the person, which even makes sense in context because it's the one who believes who has eternal life. If you don't believe, you have death. And so I'm now kind of maybe strongly leaning against the idea that this is probably a sin of unbelief and a sin, a sin of denial, the denial of the son. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think as you, you look at the context of the entirety of First John and what John is dealing with and writing to them to encourage them through and what to look for in these false teachers, these antichrists, you know, those who are with us and walked out or no longer with us because they, they left the faith, then I, I think it kind of pulls that in 
to where that that seems to be the 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 uh, what what is being said there. But again, still a difficult uh, um, text to kind of deal with, and and because we know, and verse seventeen tells us, because all sin ultimately leads to death, because the wages of sin is death, right? And yeah. verse seventeen, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. So again, it, it's still making it clear. Look, sin is sin, and sin will cause death. Sin, sin leads to death, right? Mm -hmm. But we're all sinners. We're all guilty because we're all born with a sin nature, and then we act out upon that sin on our own. And so we are all sinners, but there is forgiveness. There is hope. There is reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ. And if you believed, you can have confidence. You can be assured of your salvation through belief, your faith in Christ. And if you have professed to believe, but then walk away from the faith and start to denying the things of Christ and who he is, then there's a sin that leads to death. Yeah. And I think John here, I mean, we see the ideas that there are elevations of sin, but John's reinfor re reinforcing that all wrongdoing is sin. Like we may be talking about, in a sense, two levels of sin, but it's still sin. Mm -hmm. We shouldn't take it even, well, this is not a sin that leads to death. Like that's not as bad. No, sin is sin. We should recognize what it is. Um, but not all sin are worse than others. Well, even when you think of Corinthians, when Paul is addressing them for uh, taking the communion, taking the Lord's table in an unworthy manner, God is putting them to sleep, meaning taking their lives for the sin that they are committing, you know, in that. But these are apparently believers who are doing this in an unworthy manner. You know what I mean? So we do know that there again there is sin there are times where are there are consequences to our sin ultimately if you are in Christ there's no condemnation for you but you still may have to pay for the consequences if you act out in a sin you know if you're speeding down the road cuz you're trying to get somewhere fast as a believer and you get in an automobile accident and you lose your life there was a consequence for your you know breaking the law right but doesn't mean you're necessarily losing your salvation because if you're genuinely in Christ, there's no condemnation for you, you know? But, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. You think of, you know, An Ananias and Sapphira, probably mm -hmm. a more vivid picture where we see them die on the spot. They tell a lie, they're called out, and they're dead. God strikes them down. Um, you know... Would God do that now? I don't know, but we should read that story and be fearful. God could do it. And so we should always have an idea of how to quote a song. The skin is the scariest. It separates us from a God. Puts us behind the prison wall. And to understand the sinfulness of sin. Whether it leads to death or not, sin is sin. And we should yeah. take it seriously.
All right, so verse 18 here. Um, <clears throat> we know that everyone who has been born of God, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he has been, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Now, this is again, we've kind of dealt with this already in this book, dealing with sinless uh -huh. perfectionists. But the reality is, if you're in Christ, you do not keep on sinning. So you, you don't continue to live a lifestyle of practicing sin. You know, if, if you are um, constantly lying to your employer uh, because you don't want to get in trouble, you know, you're coming in late and you're making up lies, whatever it may be, um, you, as a Christian, you would not continuously live that lifestyle. Because if you're in Christ, if you've been born of God, as it says, um, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep the practice or does not keep on sinning. So if you've been born of God, you've been regenerated, you've been changed, the spirit dwells in you. Um, there's going to be conviction over your sin. So you're not going to keep on doing this, you know? Uh, and, and, and that's where I think the sinless perfectionist have a wrong understanding of the quote unquote, once saved, always saved crowd or Calvinists who believe in perseverance of the saints <clears throat> that we don't say that just because you're saved, you can go on and sin. Paul tells us that shall we continue in sin that grace may abound by no means. God forbid that, that we do that. Right? So it's not giving us a license to sin. John's saying, you're not going to have, you're not going to keep on sinning. But it's not saying in the sinless perfectionist way that you'll never sin again. And if you do sin, now you've lost your salvation or you weren't a Christian to begin with. Yeah. And I think that's important that, you know, the idea here is a lifestyle of sin. There are the one who is not blessed, kind of in the beginning of Psalm 1. Um, they're in kind of the ways of sin. They're living a lifestyle. They are on the broad road to pull another analogy in with it. And so it calls us to consider our lives. John wants us to think about, am I in this way? Now, I think that we also have to understand that God also revealed to us sin in our life that will need to be dealt with. What John is, I think, saying here is that we keep on doing the sins that we know we shouldn't be doing. And that we're not willing to give up those sins for the glory and for our own holiness, for the glory of God and our own holiness. The Spirit, as it transforms us, will reveal us new sins that we must be dealt with. And that until we are glorified, we'll always be dealing with these sins. And so this idea to keep on sinning, I would, I mean, it would be what we see in cultural Christianity. These people who say they're Christians but live like the world. They show no fruit of repentance. They don't show the fruit of the Spirit. And that we need to consider that, but we also here have a promise that us born of God are protected 
and that the evil one should not touch us. I think this relates to Ephesians 6 when we talk about the armor of God. And when we did that show and connecting that this armor is God's armor that he puts on us through prayer, um, we should, and, and seeing John here talk about it, is that, look, we shouldn't keep on sinning, but we also should realize we're protected, that the Holy One doesn't have his influence over us anymore. That we have the power to defeat sin, to defeat kind of the remaining vices of the serpent through the one who crushed the serpent's head. Yeah. And verse 9. Uh, we lost your audio. So verse 19. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power Can you hear me now? of the evil one. Okay, go ahead. And so, I think we will live in this world that is already not yet. Now, we will inherit the whole world, but we must realize that from Genesis 3, the devil has reign on the world as far as God has given to him. And that he has his bidding here on the world. But that we are from God. We are not of the world. We are, as what Paul Peter would say, we're soldiers and sojourns and strangers. We are passing through this world to another world, to a greater world, a better world, um, a recreated world in the likes of Eden where God plentifully provides for us all the good fruits for us to eat from, including the tree of life, or that is the tree of life, as Revelation would say. And that we need to remember that. We're not of this world, to use popular 90 phrases, and that we're from God. And God is with us. God is in us and his Holy Spirit, and that we're, we can fight back by his power the, the world and the culture that we live in. Yeah. And verse 20 here says, uh, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. And when it starts out here and it says, and we know that the Son of God has come, we know that Christ has come in the flesh, his incarnation. Mm -hmm. He has come. He lived this life in perfect obedience to the Father, never once sinning, uh, willfully went to the cross, died and was buried and rose again, defeating sin and death. This is who John and the apostles are testifying of. And there are many witnesses of this. And so... This is who he's speaking of, this Christ. As, as you mentioned earlier, it goes back to who is our faith in? Not just somebody coming and saying, I'm Jesus, I'm, I'm the Christ, or uh, I'm, I'm the one, the Messiah you've been looking for. But no, this Christ who came, God in the flesh, came incarnation and 
then willfully goes and dies on the cross. This is the Christ. And um, he's telling that. And then he says he has given us understanding. I think it's very important for us to, to realize that the understanding that we have comes from God. This is why there's, I, I get it. Sometimes with Reformed theology, there's a lot of digging in and understanding and learning, and we should. But sometimes there can come a bit of pride. As if look at how much understanding I have as opposed to so-and-so. That should not be, because that understanding comes from God, opening our eyes to see things more clearly, to understand things. Now, there's a responsibility we need to study to show ourselves approved. So obviously, if one person is really digging in and trying to study and another person isn't, that other person that's studying is going to learn more. But it's because, again, God is opening their eyes to see those things as well. Yeah, I think John's already related this a little bit in his gospel. I think we can also include the first part, the Hebrews 1 in it, that God spoke to us through the prophets, and now he speaks through us through his son. And his son spoke to 12 who wrote down what they were to write down by the Spirit. He spoke through Peter to write his two letters, his half-brother, brothers James and Jude for what they wrote, the Apostle Paul, and then here the Apostle John. And with that, he sent the Holy Spirit to teach us all things, to bring and to recall what to the disciples so that they would be able to write to us and that we may know who the Son of God is, who was the long-projected Savior. And it's not just head knowledge, too. I mean, Bart Ehrman knows a lot about the Bible. Mm -hmm. But the idea of he's given us understanding is that it's, in kind of what we've seen, is played out in our lives. It affects not only the head, but the heart. It changes who we are. It changes how we act. So we know Jesus has come and he's given us understanding. And we know that he is true. He cannot lie. He is fully God and God himself as triune cannot lie. And we are in him. We are part of him. His spirit dwells. We are being built up into a living church. Yeah. And he is, I mean, and we're done it in his son, and he's the true God. That Jesus is the true God, and, and he's our eternal life, in yeah. which we cannot work for. Yeah, I think that's a, a great statement of the divinity of Christ, the deity of Christ, right here. Um, John's saying, you know, like, one, he's talking about the Son of God who's come. He's given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. God is true. Let every man be a liar. God is true. Christ is true. And we are in him who is true. So we're in him, those of us who have believed, those of us who are uh, genuinely believers in Christ, who are following after this Christ, put our faith and trust completely in this Christ, in 
in his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. There's no life outside of Christ. You're not going to have, you're not going to find, you're not going to earn, you're not going to merit any eternal life apart from Jesus Christ. He is the true eternal life. And he's uh-huh. the true God. He's the Savior. He's the Lord. He's the one who our faith must be in. Not in our works, not in our good deeds, not in all the knowledge we know. Um, none of that. It has to be in Christ and Christ alone. And then, I don't know if there's any more you wanted to say to that, but then what he does is he gives us, he gives the readers the final warning. It's kind of like a final warning here. And he says, little children, this endearing term that he's used throughout this book. And he says, little children, keep yourself from idols. Yeah. I mean, what much do you have to say when you get to verse 21? Look at the God who saved us. Look what he's done for us. So keep away from the false gods. Keep away, and this time would have been the Greek gods, the Roman gods, the little gods that they made and carried around, made out of metals or, or wood. Poor. You go to the temples and you do the wrong worship. Put it that way. Keep it PG or G. But that's for us, too. The idol of the mind, the idol of culture, and and whatever we're doing to not think upon God that distracts us from a daily worship of him in our lives, in our actions. We need to see where we fall short in glorifying God to keep us from the idols that we store up here on earth instead of the treasure which we're called to store up in heaven. Amen. And on that note, I would say that is the end of our series uh, epistles on John. And got uh, it. Until until next time on G220 Radio here, which we will be next week, we will have Heath Pussell on the program to talk about uh becoming a better open-air preacher. So hope you will tune in next week here at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on either YouTube, if you're watching there, or on Facebook Live. Until then, God bless.